Welcome to the Investor Coaching Show, a podcast to help you get an insider's view of the financial world and escape common investment traps. We look at the financial news of the day and help you make sense of it so you can relax about money. And here's your host, Paul Winkler. And no welcome. This is the Investor Coaching Show. Happy 2024. Whoop, whoop. Did you guys mess up any of your checks? Do anybody write checks anymore? I do. I do. Do you? Huh? Yep. Did you mess up any? Not yet. What do you mean did I mess up any? Write 2023. No. One of I haven't guys, written one yet. One of my friends wrote 2022. He went backwards oh, and went wow. the other direction. <laughs> It's like, like the 60s. You did what? <laughs> if you remember 2022, you weren't there. <laughs> it went backwards. I was like, what did you do that for? I don't know. I was the one thinking. Okay. Well, I don't think you want to go back to 2022. I don't know about no. you guys. I, I'm mm-hmm. like, no. That's 23 weird. was fine. Yeah, 23 is fine. I'll take it. Yeah, it was, it was all right. Uh, so uh, should we watch the wealthy people in uh, 2024, Evan? <laughs> I was just looking at Evan's stack of articles. Yeah. <laughs> okay, just just pull the pin out of the grenade and throw like it over that? to my side of the table. <laughs> yeah, why <right>. not? <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, he's one of my faves. John Reckenthaler had this article, uh, morning, a writer for Morningstar. He says, want to lose money? Listen to millionaires. Along with anybody else who attempts to forecast the investment <laughs> but, but, future. Evan, they're rich. They've got to be good investors. Absolutely. Well, you know what? I think it's the, uh, you're always talking about the stat of out of the Fortune 400, mm-hmm. only like two people, if any, made it from investments. Otherwise, it's from a business they created yeah, or inherited. Yeah. And then if you look at the growth in their wealth, as as estimated by Forbes, the growth in their wealth was lower than the stock market Below the growth market. over the period. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, in November, tw- uh, starts with a failed prediction. In November of But the 20- market's rigged. Oh, so, yes. So, so the market's so rigged. So they're only the rich making money. So the money. rich people yes. are the only ones making money, and they can't even be the market. They're so good, they're yeah, underperforming. Yeah, yeah, you get this. Okay, good. I just want to make sure you guys are getting yeah. this. <laughs> in November 2022, speaking of 22, CNBC asked 761 people who owned at least $1 million in investment assets... Mm-hmm. how stocks would perform during the next year, <laughs> which would be 2023. Oh, no. 56% of them responded that U.S. equities would lose at least 10%. Well, how, what percent? 56% of them. 56%, more than half of them thought. Said the U.S. would lose at least 10%. Oh, fascinating. So before I even continue, Paul or Ira, if you read that forecast, are you going to jump in the market no. or get out of the market? Rich people are. I got to get out. It's going down ten percent. It's going down absolutely. Over the previous half century, stocks had declined by that much only six times for the year. We uh-huh. know they can go down that far during the year. Sure. Either most of the survey's participants were unusually insightful, able to predict an event with a twelve percent probability before it occurred, or they were blithering idiots. Hmm, about that. What's more, the last time that the polls respondents were so bearish was in 2008. Go figure, after a horrible market, they were bearish. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Which gives the millionaires a perfect record. Whenever they heartily dislike stocks, U.S. equities promptly gain 26%. So here's one of the first problems. We talk about this a lot. Recency bias. Mm-hmm. So these millionaires 
coming into the end of 2022, you know, see a lot of uncertainty, blah, blah, blah. And so they're assuming the market's going to keep going down or not do well. Gas prices were up. You know, we were dealing mm -hmm. with inflation, all that. Yeah. Uh, the second problem he talks about is groupthink, which we call herding bias. Herding bias, yeah. And, you know, whenever, you know, your friends, if they say it's down or if your friends say this stock's good or get out of that, you tend to not want to stick out because I, you know, I don't want to be the guy at the party saying, no, we shouldn't have beer at this thing. You mm -hmm. know, you don't mm -hmm. want to be that killjoy. Mm -hmm. um, here's the interesting thing. Entering 2023, the median projection among 20 Wall Street firms. So this is not the millionaires. Mm -hmm. The consensus was the total return for the S&P for 2023 would be four and a half percent. Oh, interesting. Very, so, very So the title is kind of picking on the millionaires, but yeah, even the, the top but the 20 firms, firms said, yeah, it may go up 4%. Screwed up big time. <laughs> well, you, you, you know, yeah, I mean, you talk about the intra-year downturns, that the market can go down 10% inside of a year. Yeah. One of my favorite charts that we use from time to time here goes back to the 1980s. And it looks at, and I just pulled it up really quick, the S&P 500 calendar year returns and intra-year downturns mm -hmm. or drawdowns. And it goes from 1980 to 2021 is the most recent one that I found. Mm -hmm. But if you look year by year, like 1980, you had a, even though the market was up 32% for the year, uh -huh. in the course of the year, it had a 16% downturn. The next year, even though you know, the, the market went down, but there was an entry year, it went down 5%, but the market went down 12 in the middle of the year. Next year, the market went up 22%, S&P went up 22%, but it had a 9% downturn inside of the year. And if you look at it, if you go year by year, you'll see negative 16, negative 12, negative 9, negative 7, negative 13, negative 8, 8 negative 9, negative 30. That was a year that the market actually it went down 30% in that one year. Is that 90? 89? 87. 87. Yeah, it went down. Oh, remember? 87. Black Friday. October, October 87. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, you know, you look Very down negative 30%, but the market ended up the year 5%. And negative 8, negative 8, negative 20, uh, negative 6, negative 6. You look at all those different years, and, you know, you have the S&P 500, even though the average downturn was, I don't even know, they don't, they don't even have it calculated About 9 here. Probably at least, at least, yeah, at, at least, at least. Uh, but the market went up out of all those years, 35 out of 42 years. Yeah. 35 out of 42 years, it went up. And yet you had intra-year downturns of 19%, 16%, 10. I'm just reading numbers off here, 17 and 30 and 33%. You know, so we do see that. And it's funny because if you see a downturn that's that big, you know, 30% downturn or 10, 19% downturn or 16%, you're going to get really, really anxious. Yeah. And then you'll be tempted to pull out. And yet out of all those years, most of the time the market ended up, you know, so you look at that and go, yeah, no wonder. I don't, you know, I don't care. You might be a millionaire, but it doesn't mean that you're not human. <laughs> Right. The uh, the third <coughs> excuse me, the third problem they talk about is wishful thinking. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think actually we call that wishful thinking as as far. I don't think we have a bias for that that we talk about. Mm -hmm. But uh, you know, it's just uh, 
a longstanding joke uh, from that Don Phillips, who used to be the head of Morningstar, optimism bias is that portfolio managers could be, yeah, uh, inevitably comment that the previous year was dominated by a single simple trend. You'll now hear that making money in 2023 merely required owning the Magnificent Seven, whereas profiting in 2022 meant avoiding both stocks and bonds. Mm -hmm. Bank of America now. Investment strategists currently claim that 2024 will be a stock picker's paradise. <laughs> oh, no. Like, Let's do oh, the opposite. Okay. <laughs> and another uh, BlackRock says that 2024 is shaping up to be a bonanza for stock pickers. No doubt there is actual analysis intermixed with the wishful thinking, but don't overlook the powerful influence of the latter. It is for that reason that I routinely discount forecasts of economic booms from growth stock managers and economic busts from bond fund leaders. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, they're they're swimming in that water. And um, I don't have them pulled up. It, uh, it was on my iPad. But I was looking at the cover, uh, the digital cover of The Wall Street Journal mm -hmm. and two headlines, two articles apart. One was basically, you know. Pamela Yellen says we've achieved the soft landing and mm -hmm. two articles below that was, you know, the world is ending and the market's going to tank. And I mean, like within four inches of each other, two totally different out outtakes. Yeah. On the, on 2024. Yeah. And, and then the bias of the writer, you know, comes through and you go, who do you believe? Right. Yeah, it is. It's frustrating. It's just <laughs> I look like looking up. A medical condition earlier today, yeah. and they had two completely, <laughs> totally opposite yeah. approaches to fixing it. Use ice, use heat. Yeah, oh, okay, yeah exactly. Yeah, thank you very much. All right. Well, here's two statements from two very, very big investment banks. First one, J.P. Morgan. And let's talk, compare, compare these. Mm -hmm. Investors should temper expectations of 2024 as estimates for profit growth look lofty. Volatility has been unusually low. Valuations could come under further pressure, and economic growth is likely to slow. Okay. The second one is Morgan Stanley. Wait, do you know when that was written? Um, this was just written. Well, the, you know, after the, I was just wondering no. if it was after the pre first few days of the year where the market yeah. went down, right? No, this is. <laughs> then, this they, is then, tell you, then you tell you temper your your expectations. That's what this, this I, is. I was just I was just proving a point. Yeah, this they is, typically yeah. write negative headlines after the market goes down, right? Well, okay. wait, wait, wait. All right, all right, all right. All right I'm waiting. Okay. Morgan Stanley, 2024 is likely to be a tale of two halves, with a cautious first half giving way to a stronger performance. In the second half of the year. And when was that written? These are two written at the quotes same time? on a graphic that I have okay. showing the, you know, the returns by years of the last 150 years of the S&P 500. And it's broken down into, you know, zero to 10 percent positive, 10 to 20, 20 to 30, 30, 40. And the same thing, zero to negative 10, um, negative 10 to negative 20. Uh, all the way down 50, you know, minus 50 to uh, minus 40, minus 50, or plus 40, plus 50. Is that their guesses as to what the market's going to do for the no, year? No, what no, is no. That? I don't this know. This is, is what, well, th those two sh comments, because their question on this chart is where it, you know, they have all these years, mm -hmm. and it's a typical bell curve. Okay. And the majority, uh, you know, the, ma the majority of years are in the, um, 
zero to plus 10. Mm-hmm. And then the next greatest number of years is plus 10 to plus 20, mm-hmm. where there's over 63 years mm-hmm. of returns in those. And then the zero to minus 10, minus 10 to minus 20, there's 43 years there. So the um, up years, just for, you know, basically for the highest part of the bell curve, there's 20 more years of positive returns. So there's just kind of questioning where is 2024 going to be? And they have it above the column of zero to 10%. So they're just saying, where will 2024 end for 2024 analyst forecast for the S&P's 500s returns average between five to 10% yet again. That's what they're saying. And then they so have- So it's a safer bet because it's where it usually ends up most of the time. Right. Historically, but to me, it's amazing that you have two major investment banks that I think, in looking at these statements, they have very opposite views. Mm-hmm. One saying we're going to go economic growth is going to likely to slow, right? And one saying performance in the second half of the year is going to be stronger. Yeah, well, it's 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 good from a marketing standpoint because people forget if you're wrong, but they you know may remember you and interview you because they're not going to interview right. if you're if you're wrong. So you won't get the negative press, right? No. Yeah. But you'll get the positive press if you're right. right. So, so there is an impetus to go and you know, make a prediction one way or another. Yep. I remember that somebody interviewed me one time and they, they said, hey, Paul, what do you think the market's going to do this year? And I said, 10%. <laughs> oh, well, that was quick. What do you think it's going to do in the next six months? 5%. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think is going to be in the next three three months? And I said, two and a half two percent. A half. <laughs> <laughs> I kept dividing it in. And she started laughing because she figured out what I was doing. <laughs> I yeah. said, and, you know, I don't know. I mean, why would we play think- the odds? Oh, but they, they think that what we ought to do this year, guys, is invest in mid caps. They shouldn't be ignored in 2024, according to uh, Wall Street Journal, article in the Wall Street Journal. Oh, gosh. Yeah, mid cap stocks. You know, and, and what I did is I, I ran, I decided just to run the numbers on it just to see what would have happened had I invested, because mid-cap stocks, you know, we often talk about why don't we use mid-caps. When you're diversifying, I want larger companies personally and smaller companies so that I have a very diverse position. So if small companies do really, really well, like think 2001 where small companies went up, large companies went down, that I have something to pull income from or something to rebalance from. But if I'm holding the mid-caps, I'm holding the medium-sized part of the market, you have something called the goalpost effect where you have less diversification when you do that. And you think, well, what would have happened? Well, I I ran it back from 1926 uh, till end of November of 2023. I said, well, what if you had put a dollar in medium-sized companies? The dollar would have grown to about $23,000. But what if you diversified between large and small? The standard deviation of the risk was about the same, but the accumulation was about $31,000 mm. You know when you did that. Hmm. So hence, this is the reason when we talk about why we don't talk about mid-caps on this show and, and just don't. But you see them all the time in people's investment portfolios, medium-sized, because when you look at that in isolation, there's kind of this good story that goes with mid-caps. Ira, you always like to talk about the story that went along with mm-hmm. the investments that you used to have people make. And, you know, they've got to watch out. Stories can be very, very much just marketing. 
you know, pulling you into something that you shouldn't be doing. Well, the other thing, too, is when we're looking at the mid-cap stocks and what we're doing here is trying to reduce risk. So we want the areas of the market that have the lower, vol- the lower correlation, meaning they're not all moving mm-hmm. very close together. You're going to have a lower correlation between large and small. The correlation will be higher between medium and large. Mm-hmm. The correlation will also be higher between small and medium. Mm-hmm. So therefore, if you add in the medium stocks in there, you're actually raising, you know, the, uh, you actually have a higher correlation overall, which yeah. actually increases the risk of the whole portfolio yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's, that's why that is the direction. Yeah, and you know, that points out when we talk about portfolio, you know, not just diversification, but portfolio engineering, mm-hmm. you can't put the same dollar in two places. And so, you know, if you're listening to this, don't miss, don't misunderstand what is being said. We're not saying mid caps lose money. That's not, that's not the conversation. No, that is not, no. We're saying there's no benefit for putting extra dollars in kind of the middle of the market, as opposed to the, you know, the goalposts on the market, you get that premium for small, mm-hmm. but you don't, you don't get any benefit for pu- any extra benefit for putting a bunch of stuff in mid caps. It's not that they're bad. They just aren't as good as other options. Well, and also it, 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 there's more better returns from the large and the small than there are from the medium. And one of the things that, you know, we talk about medium-sized companies, you know, if you're looking at a value portfolio, you know, you're going to be holding more medium-sized yeah. companies yeah. in there anyway in the value. But we, I wasn't even talking about value in, in this whole assessment. I was just talking about the gross part of the portfolio. But the idea that so often what investors miss is they think about return, return, return. They're just obsessed with it. Yeah. And they forget about that risk is something that's really seriously important. You can take two portfolios with the same exact return, mm-hmm. and one will deliver a fraction, could deliver a fraction of the income, which is what you're investing for, because of the difference in volatility. Yeah. And you know, you can't just ignore that kind of stuff. Thanks for tuning in to the Investor Coaching Podcast. Now, you may be one of these people that's been listening and realizing, wow, investing, there's a lot more to it than meets the eye and financial planning, tax laws constantly changing and recognizing that maybe you might need some help in this area, but you don't want just anybody to help you out. So we have 10 offices in the Middle Tennessee area, and everything we do is fee only. We align our interests with your interests. So you can get an initial 15-minute phone call with any one of our offices just by going to paulwinkler.com forward slash call. That's it. Every one of the offices is run by somebody with 20 plus years experience. They're all degree planners. They all have academic backgrounds in investing, and you can get the help that you need. So if you want to set up a complimentary phone consultation, just go to paulwinkler.com forward slash call. And we look forward to seeing you soon. I had high hopes for this article. I'm not saying anything. This will not save Social Security. I, you know, it says this guy was talking about her market watch out, Mark Holbert does a lot of the uh-huh. market timing stuff. Yeah. I'm referring to the proposal to make all wages subject to Social Security payroll tax, as opposed to current law, in which only taxes wages up to 168000 
So, you know, if you earn income up below 168000 which is most people within our voice, you're paying Social Security taxes. If your income goes above that, you don't have to pay Social Security taxes anymore, but you don't get Social Security based on income above that. On that money. On, on, the, on, the, on the income above that. Yes, that's exactly right. So, you know, hence, that's why it's that way. You'll undoubtedly be hearing a lot about this in, in the election year because it has a populist, uh, it's just... It has an appeal. Tax the rich. But uh, the plan does not boost Social Security revenue nearly as much as proponents would lead you to believe. And I thought, oh, maybe this guy has done some number crunching on this. Well, basically what he's saying is this. He says this person, Robinson, Steve Robinson, writes that the limit on Social Security payroll taxes also serves as a limit on Social Security benefits. Without this limit... Higher wage workers would pay unlimited taxes and receive unlimited benefits. The additional benefits would offset much of the additional taxes. Well, where, where's the problem with this right away, guys? Because <laughs> what is a politician going to say? Yeah. If you have taxes on people whose incomes are much higher, we're just perfectly fine with it as long as they don't get any benefits. Right. You know, that's, and he does address that here. He says, but contrast that with the proposal to take, to make all wages subject to social security payroll tax. Robinson calculates that the person who made an inflation adjusted $1 million per year working through his working life would be eligible to receive monthly benefit of $14,289 or about $171,000 per year. Cool. There ain't no way that that the government's <laughs> going to sit there and go, oh, let's just, you know, yeah, let's throw $171,000 toward that wealthy person. They're going to basically say these people don't need it and they're going and you know so but we'll tax them. We'll take their tax money. Yes. But they don't need the benefit. That's what they're going to say, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, who's kidding who on this one? Right. Robinson's says um one seemingly and he does give credit for what we're saying. One seemingly obvious comeback to his anal- this analysis is that Congress could sever the connection between how much the taxpayer pays in his Social Security and how much it gets in re- back in retirement. The taxable wage gap could be removed with, while never keeping benefits capped at current levels. But his response is that severing the payment benefit connection isn't that simple or straightforward. Doing that would rep- represent a fundamental departure from Social Security's tradition of linking both contributions and benefits to taxable wages. Like they're going to have a problem severing that. <laughs> well, and, you know, uh, you know, we let's just say rich people, we were kind of picking on them from the standpoint of stock picking. Yeah, that they're, that they're not great investors. But they well, aren't. May, they may need more Social Security since they're such well, bad no, stock pickers, but, right? You know, <laughs> they aren't stupid and they have good accountants. Right. And they have good attorneys. Yes. So you see something like that get enacted. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in like by March or April, we'd see this article of there's been an explosion of S corporation filings of people taking dividends out of their business. You know, I mean, they're not going to just exactly. lay down and take it. We're just going to take this. <laughs> yeah. We were so smart. We were able to make a lot of money, but we're so dumb. We can't figure out how to avoid taxes. We'll, we'll all be telecommuting from Belize or something like that. But, you know, they're not going to just roll over and play dead. They'll adjust their affairs and they're not going to get nicked. But I don't even like that we have to spend money, Mm -hmm. spend productivity to dodge the next tax bullet. Now, you may look at this and say, well, you know, because they're basically saying politicians may be eager to remove the cap 
However, since it would temporarily improve Social Security's finances, they, they may remove it because it may be a temporary fix. But that fix would go away once benefits started getting paid. But here are the numbers. Let's just throw out some numbers. Yeah. Uh, let's say we had $10,000 of extra income. Mm-hmm. And you're way, way up there. I mean, you're way up there tax bracket-wise. You're at $700,000 or whatever your income is. And so you got 37% of your money going out for federal taxes. Mm-hmm. And then let's say you have an eight percent sales state state tax, you know. Oh, okay. So you you, you take those those taxes. Now we're at forty five percent. Let's say that that state added eight percent to it. Then you got Social Security six point two percent on both sides. That's another twelve point four. Um, because but that's not going to be part of taxable income, right? So we got to yeah. take that out, right? Yeah. So if you take that out, you're still looking at over fifty two percent of your income going out to the government. Yeah. Are you going to sit there and, and, you know, at what point do you go, this is kind of ridiculous? Yeah. You know, 50% of my income uh, going out to the government in form of taxes with, you know, why? at what point do I go, like Evan said? Yeah. Do I change how I file for taxes? Do I change the nature of my income? You know, capital gains, like, you know, whatever. Yeah. I don't know. But, you know, you look at that and go. Or I quit producing like Reagan did. I, I just I don't make any more movies. Right, right, exactly. That's a, you know that's exactly what happened. Reagan actually said ninety ninety percent of my income went out in taxes yeah. for making that movie. Uh, there's something wrong here. Right. Well, if you go to the Social Security Administration's website and you dig down deep enough, which I'm actually holding it in my hands, uh, there's the provisions affecting payroll taxes, and there are thirty five. Currently, 35 different proposals. 35 proposals. 35 proposals to help shore up the Social Security system. Um, Six of them increase payroll tax rate with no changes in the taxable maximum amount. Twelve of them tax all earnings above the current law of the taxable amount. And 17 tax a portion of earnings above the current Law taxable maximum, a portion, a portion. Okay, so, so for the, example, the donut hole thing. Is that what? Sorry, the donut hole thing, yeah. where where we stop the tax at yeah. one hundred seventy thousand, and yeah. then we start so back up I'll, at four fifty or whatever. Couple, I'll read a few of them just to kind okay. of see what they you know, what they are telling us. Uh, increase the payroll tax currently at twelve point four percent by zero point one percent each point each year. From 2029 to 2048. Turn up the heat for the frog. (laughs) Until the rate reaches 14.4% in 2048. How how much? What was the percentage? 14.4. 14.4% in 2028. All right, here's another one. Apply 12.4% payroll tax rate on earnings above the 250, Mm -hmm. the donut hole, Mm -hmm. starting in 2024. So Mm -hmm. we know this one's not getting done because it's 2024. Okay. Uh, eliminate the taxable maximum in years 2029 and later. Phase in elimination of by taxing all earnings above the current law taxable maximum at 2.48% in 2025. 4.96%. Oh, so not at the full 6.2, 6.2. So bring it down, tax everything above that at a little bit lower rate. Um, I believe it's in, um, by elimination of taxing the current rate. At a maximum at 2.4. I believe that's increasing it actually by that amount. Uh, 4.96%. Or eliminate the taxable maximum 
currently just eliminate it. And so everybody pays taxes everybody, yeah, on everybody. every bit of income and yeah. then moves to Australia. Right. 4.96% in 2026. <laughs> All and the wealthy people that are mobile. <laughs> and so on up to 12.4% in 2029. Um, so that would be double because the employer's going to have to match all this stuff. Yeah. Eliminate the taxable maximum in years 2035 and later. So right now we have a total maximum that's that we can, that you paid up to. Just eliminate that. And mm-hmm. now it's on everything. Right. So, but my point being is a lot of these were to start this year. So it just shows you that nothing is being done. Right, right, right. And in bottom line, I would think it's going to run to a break. But I think, you know, this is going along with something I've said in the past few weeks. You know, there's been a lot of pressure on both sides of the aisle. Yes. Both sides of the aisle to reinstitute the current tax laws in 2025, which were supposed to go back to the old. Yeah. There's been actually pressure instead of going, because you look at it, you go 10 and 12% going up to 15 and then 22, 24, going up to 25, that's not that big of a jump. But there still has been pressure not to allow that to sunset. You know, so, you know, I think that, you know, they might have a bigger fight on their hands trying to do some of these things than meets the eye. But those are income taxes. That's not Social Security. Yeah, I know, but, but it's still an, a tax on your income. Social Security tax is still a tax on your income. But the Social Security tax... They can credit that towards Social Security and say we're building up the fund by changing Social Security. The tax on the income is not Yeah, Social but, they're, but they're, trying, they're basically saying I'm going to give you the same benefit you were going to get before. You know, and, and people are a little bit loath to go, this is exciting. I love this. Easier. If you're 25 years old, <laughs> you don't think you're going to Start get Social saving. Security anyway. Start saving. Just kidding, 25-year-old. Hey, this is Paul Winkler. Hope you enjoyed today's edition of the Investor Coaching Show. You want to learn more about what we do, go to our website, paulwinkler.com. You can watch some of the videos there, and if you're not already a client, you can set up a free initial consultation. Until next time, I'm Paul Winkler, reminding you that I believe that more educated investors are more confident investors, and confident investors are more successful investors. Have a great one. Advisory services offered through Paul Winkler, Inc., an SEC-registered investment advisor. The opinions voiced and information provided in this material are for general informational purposes only and not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what investments are appropriate for you, please consult with a financial advisor. Paul Winkler, Inc. does not provide tax or legal advice. Please consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your particular situation.